for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to John Hollinger, who covers the NBA and used to be a front office vice president of basketball operations for the Memphis Grizzlies. He now works for the Athletic. We can talk to him about what the Warriors may do with number seven and number 14, how good this draft class is, and also a look at the Phoenix Suns taking down the Western Conference en route to their first NBA Finals appearance in 28 years. All things we can talk about with John Hollinger, who joins me next. Today is Friday, July 2nd. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast for the first time John Hollinger. He's, of course, a senior basketball writer for The Athletic, also a, a former front office whiz in the NBA. John, what's going on, man? Thanks for stopping by today. Well, thanks for having me. In the Bay Area here, we're uh, we're all geeked up about the Warriors, man. It's kind of cool, I think, to look around the league and see some of the young teams making an impact in the playoffs or, or at this level in this stage of the postseason. But Warrior fans ultimately are just hungry to get back to that stage. They got a little taste of it this year at the end of the season against Memphis and the Lakers, and, and it didn't work out. But now they know where they're picking, 7-14. and 14, And I think in, in general you feel pretty good about having those picks, but this year they're talking about a top-heavy draft. When you hear 7-14, and 14, what do you think about those picks? If you've got them, are you moving around, or, or do you like what you're seeing at the top this year? I do think it's a top-heavy draft, but I actually think there's not a huge difference between one and, say, seven or eight. I think it sort of goes off a cliff around eight, nine, ten, and then like that pick at 14 I think is weaker than a normal 14 pick, but I actually kind of like being at seven. Now, that said, in Golden State situation, I mean, they didn't amass this payroll to get the seven seed, right? So I think they're totally in win-now mode. I think these picks have to be in play and, uh, you know, see if they can get more veteran help for Stephen Draymond. I frequently say, and I think about this a lot with the NBA in particular, that it's tough to win as a young team. The Memphis Grizzlies getting in there this year at the eighth seed were, I think, the youngest team since Oklahoma City went deep with KD and and Harden and Westbrook years ago. But I look at the Warriors and I go, they're a veteran-laden team, just as they were when they went to five straight NBA Finals. They just had veterans on different sides of it. Now the veterans are your key players. So when you look at these picks and you look at what the Warriors can do, is it beneficial to make that pick at number seven, or do you think you you can go further when you go out and you use that pick to bring in a veteran to try to keep this window open. That's the thing. They tried to sort of have it both ways last year with the Wiseman pick where they thought he would help them immediately and also be a bridge to their future. And I think now they're questioning both of those things after last season. And so I don't know that they're going to go down that road again this year, especially when they're picking seventh and not second when you have you know a much better shot of getting like a real high level long-term piece so I do think what they would probably end up doing is packaging the pick and some contracts and trying to get their hands on whatever high-level veteran players are out there I mean obviously you know if Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal or somebody like that becomes available I mean the Warriors are going to be the first ones on the phone saying like hey we got some good stuff you know what do we need to do here Where it gets tricky is you don't want to just kind of give up those picks for what I would call half-good players who don't really move the needle, right? So that's where it can get a little tricky is defining where is the line where it's really worth it to put that pick in play versus just taking a guy and hope you get your next step out of it. 
it's sort of the case with anything, right? If I know I'm getting value, sure, I'll make I'll make any move if I think it's it's a value move for me. If I if I know it's going to work out, how do you think the league views James Wiseman? I, I think Warrior fans were up and down on him. I think it's it's pretty split as far as the fan base is concerned. Thinking you don't want to end up with a Chris Webber situation where he leaves town after a season or two seasons and has a, a Hall of Fame career, but also to the point we're making now, you know, do you have time to develop him with the core you have in house uh, at this time? So, well, how do you think the league views Wiseman? Are they still high? on him do you think he carries a lot of weight as a trade piece or or what do you make of that i still think he's a trade chip i still think there are teams in the league that value him and had him rated highly in last year's draft and haven't gone south on him just based off what happened last year where i mean in truth like it wasn't like he was awful he just didn't help a veteran team win right and so you know, when he's at his age, you kind of evaluate that. You say, okay, but he's still got a chance to be something really valuable three, four years down the road. So if, if I'm a rebuilding team, yeah, I see Wiseman as a really nice piece in a trade. When you look at the top of the draft for this season, do you see Cade Cunningham as like a, I mean, he seems like he's an immediate cornerstone piece. You can play him anywhere. It seems like he's the, the modern day type of player. He could be an absolute weapon. Is he a generational talent type guy, you think? I don't really see him being on that level. I don't, I don't see a generational talent in this draft. That doesn't mean there isn't one. There just isn't a player that I would bet on becoming one. Cade Cunningham, to me, he reminds me more of like a Chris Middleton than a LeBron James. Let's put it that way. Like He's not a freak athlete, has trouble getting by people off the dribble. His handle isn't super tight, especially when it's in his left hand. What he is is a really good shooter, especially off the dribble, can score, pretty good defender, good size. Like the odds of him being a good player are really high. The odds of him being a top 10 player in the league, I think, are not that great. I think I'm with you. I, I've heard different people. Marcus Thompson, our senior writer uh, out here, of course, uh, of The Athletic, is really high on him, thinks that if the Warriors could at some way move up to get that pick, that's the guy you go get. But I'm fearful of the way that you're talking about, that he could be a role player and, and be a really good role player, but it might take him some time to get there despite his uh, his shooting prowess. I can't let you go today without talking a little bit about the Phoenix Suns, who, who get into the NBA Finals for the first time in 28 years. Obviously, the the loss to LeBron, the, or excuse me, to Jordan, the loss to the Celtics years ago in the 70s, but you had a piece that I saw you throw out again the other day on Twitter from May 24th, and you, it, I think the headline was uh, something along the lines of, hey, NBA fans, pay attention. The Suns are really good, and you were uh, you were justified. You were able to plant your flag again on Wednesday night. Uh, what do you think of the Suns? Are they the better team, you think, against, I mean, we don't know, I guess, exactly what's going to happen with Trey and with Giannis, but either team in the Eastern Conference could be facing an uphill battle with the Suns. Phoenix will be favored in the finals, yes. I mean, they, they will have home court advantage, A, but I just think they've looked much better than either of those teams have in the postseason, and they'll come in healthier as well. So, yeah, it's really set up almost perfectly, just a dream season for them, while, while every other team has had injuries hurt them at the worst possible time. The Suns are just cruising along, and it's not that they haven't had misfortune. I mean, you know, they had Chris Paul missed a couple games and, you know, little dings here and there. They didn't have Cameron Johnson last night. They didn't have Cameron Payne for a little bit. But they've just been able to to weather that so easily. And now they're just in this incredible position where they'll either be playing the five seed in the East or potentially the three seed without its best player and one other starter, by the way, because Steven Chento's out too. 
So, I mean, they have to be a huge favorite in, in the finals. It's amazing how well it's lined up for them. But, I mean, that's how championship seasons go a lot of times is you have a really good team and then you get fortunate on top of that. So, I mean, props to the Suns. I think it's really cool, and and it's happened, I guess I I would say it happened last year in the the playoffs, in the bubble down in Orlando, that there was parity in the Eastern Conference. Like I'm not sure that the the Miami Heat come out of the East last year if they're playing a normal seven-game series, having to travel, whatever happens. The Lakers, I think, were the favorite anyway, right? But this year, I feel like we've gotten parity all over the place, and yeah, injuries were a huge part of it at the end of the regular season and into the postseason, but I think it's been great that we've got all these new storylines, and we've got kind of new teams that are going to need to be knocked off at the top next year, and maybe Chris Paul is the guy to do it. What do you make of Chris Paul and and how his legacy is? I saw Devin Booker say his legacy has been stamped anyway, but but this is just one more feather in his cap. Kind of cool to see Chris Paul finally get a shot. Yeah, I mean, the thing that had always, you know, the asterisk with him had always been the failures in the playoffs with the Clippers especially, but also with Houston. And so for him to rewrite that chapter, I think has been a pretty amazing thing. Obviously, you know, he can't, stage plan in the finals now <laughs> you know the stage gets bigger but I think he's going to be fine there probably I mean he might be the best player on the court in the finals we'll see who they end up playing against so it's amazing for him to rewrite this story at his age and yeah you know like you said I mean as we get into next year and the year after I mean you know Phoenix Atlanta like I don't think these teams are going away and then you look at a team like the Clippers, who, I mean, Paul George had a couple of great performances. Uh, he talked about how they were, you know, a possession away for a few of those games, which is true, in a, a deep triple overtime game, right? And so uh, I look at that team and you go, he's probably right. If they have Kawhi Leonard, one of the top five players in the world, it's maybe a different situation. But <laughs> Clipper culture, man, like I know that the Lakers rule the uh, rule the Staples Center down in L.A., but this is it's just another tough blow for them, right? Yeah, I mean, they got further than they ever had before, so that's something. But, yeah, to not have Kawhi at the end obviously really hurt. I mean, the Clippers and Brooklyn both are probably looking at this and saying, if we didn't have our injuries, we surely would be steaming toward a championship right now. So it's unfortunate for them, but that's how it goes sometimes. But, I mean, with the Clippers, I think you have to look at it and say they had a really good year. I mean, they were, even with Kawhi, they were down 2 nothing in the first round and down 20 in the first quarter of Game 3 and were able to pull that series out and get themselves to the conference finals for the first time ever. So I think you take the positive more than the negative away from this year if you're the Clippers. I think also you know that you really got the right guy in Ty Lue, right? I think his coaching prowess really showed through as far as the uh, sort of the wall that they'd hit and the uh, the adversity they had to overcome here at the end. So, hey, John, I appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for coming by, and, uh, and we'll keep reading you and following you, and we'll catch up with you down the road, man. Thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me. Great hit from John Hollinger. Nice look at the national basketball perspective. And, and yeah, the Kate Cunningham thing, I mean, it's hit or miss, but who knew Steph Curry was going to end up be Steph Curry as well, right? You just never know uh, who the superstars are or who the uh, the uh, gems buried in the rough somewhere are. The diamonds in the rough, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So we'll see what happens uh, with the Warriors. And as Anthony Slater told us last week, it could take us up until draft day to see what the Warriors decide to do with that pick. But John Hollinger throwing out names like Bradley Beal or, or Damian Lillard. Could you imagine Lillard playing along? Alongside Steph, I guess it would be a bummer for Lillard to not have that go down in Oakland, but it would be kind of cool for him to play for his childhood franchise. Thank you to John. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening today. We will be off on Monday, 4th of July on Sunday. Everybody enjoy the holiday weekend. We'll be back with you Wednesday as the Giants will be taking on the St. Louis Cardinals and just a couple more series before the All-Star Game, which goes down in just a couple of weeks. All things we can talk about next week. Enjoy the holiday weekend. We'll talk to you Wednesday.